Welcome to the Christmas slash holiday edition of the Coach Fury podcast. This one's coming out on Christmas Day. For those that don't know who I am, I'm Steve Coach Fury Holliner. I'm a fitness trainer and educator based out of Brooklyn, New York. I offer personal online and semi-private training as well as teaching classes. I'm also a teacher for a few groups. Uh, I teach for the RKC for DVRT Ultimate Sandbag Training, Original Strength, as well as being a mentor in the group Strength Faction. Uh, I've got several courses coming up. I'm looking at how great 2017 was, um, finishing those courses in Japan. I'm done teaching for the year, and I'm really excited for a bunch of the stuff I have coming up uh, already lined up for next year. So uh, senior RKC, Beth Andrews and I have an RKC. We still have some spots left for our January 26th through 28th RKC at the Movement Gym in Marietta, Georgia. I have Original Strength Pressing Reset coming back to Crunch 59th Street. I always love teaching over there. That is Sunday, February 11th. On Sunday, March 18th, uh, I return to home, MFF Bowery, with the HKC One Day Kettlebell Certification on Sunday, March 18th. And then we have our second annual RKC Level 2 coming back to Catalyst on Saturday, May 5th through Sunday, May 6th. And more, more, more to come. It's crazy thinking about these opportunities that keep coming up. Folks, my next guest uh, is my former fitness manager, someone I look up to a lot, um, a close friend of mine, uh, someone that I just love to bounce ideas off of um, and just have a shit, shit ton of respect for. Uh, and that's going to be Amanda Wheels Wheeler from MFF Bowery. And she's also one of the co-owners, co-founders of Formation Strength, which is a women's online training group. Their registration's opening now, so when you listen to this podcast, take note so you'd be able to sign up for that. Also, Strength Faction, Wheels and I are both mentors in Strength Faction, and our online training registration's happening as well. Um, you have gotten more details out of Strength Faction from the Todd Bumgarner, Kristen Callahan, and Chris Merritt episodes of this podcast. So lots of awesome stuff happening right now. So give a listen. Uh, I think... All of these podcasts I've learned something from almost in a surprising fashion, so I certainly hope the listeners have. Um, but what I realized after this episode is some are educational in a way, and some get deep and are really sort of emotional and, and, and I think inspiring. And, and Wheels just opened up about some stuff um, that allowed me to open up about some stuff, and, and I, I hope you get a lot out of this episode. This one's going to be more about your personal development as well as your coaching ability, but um, this is a great one. Welcome to the Christmas edition of the Coach Fury Podcast, and my gift to you is also a gift to myself. My guest for episode 16 is uh, someone I look up to, someone that was my former boss, someone that took over the roles of class design manager from me when I left Mark Fisher Fitness, and that is the one and only Amanda Wheels Wheeler. Amanda, can you uh, say hi? Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and, and tell the listeners a little bit of something about yourself. Yeah, totally. Uh, my friends call me Wheels, um, so you're welcome to call me Wheels. Uh, I've been in fitness for 12 years. I used to own a gym in Royal Oak, Michigan, before I moved to New York in 2011 and joined the crazy cast of Mark Fisher Fitness. So I've been there since 2013. I came on, and I had a little sabbatical in there, but I'm back at the Bowery and uh, doing the thing. It's awesome. So when I started MFF, it was shortly before Wheels actually left for that sabbatical uh, to Kansas City. And the cool thing was I actually got to go to Kansas City and hang out with you more there 
than yeah. I ever had while we were at MFF together until you came back. So yeah. Wheels came back just as MFF Bowery, I believe the lease was just signed around the time you came back. We knew that it was definitely happening. Yep. And I'm going to be completely honest with you folks, and this isn't meant to like bum anybody else out on the MFF team, but I was interested as a fitness manager in the fitness manager role at Bowery and they told me wheels got it and I was excited for wheels. And quite frankly, again, not to offend it. She was the only person that I probably would have stayed on for who got that role just in terms of wherever my own ego was at the moment, but just also like just my ultimate respect for her as a coach and a, and a person. And not that I don't respect the other teams, but wheels is something, somebody special to me that even wheels, if I didn't know you, like I know you, like if I was just like in coach land, looking up to other coaches, like you're that person for me. Um, so (laughs) Craig Middleton, Amanda Ting, wheels, Riley Jennings and I got to open up Bowery and basically work a ton there under some, fucking absolutely insane conditions due to a horrible horrible contractor right like if there's things that mark fisher and michael keeler are good at it's planning and planning for the worst and then we got like a fucking roland emmerich film like a disaster film in terms of that build out wheels what would you think is like uh, a top two worst things um in terms of our situation (laughs) through that build out oh man uh it was long it was so it was a fucking long winter i would say um heat that ventilation system took like six months to get in so we were freezing truly i think you did i remember you doing uh your os workshop in march and it was like 16 degrees that day yeah we had no heat we forgot to leave the space heaters on on saturday it was freezing um the the heating situation for a super long time i think just like just went on for like far too long um and I think just the general, I think when we opened up the general construction, when we couldn't use the classroom, when everybody was downstairs, like that went on for a hot minute too, or it was like, okay, like it's time, like we got to get this classroom open. But I'm always still like shocked and surprised that people still came. I mean, it's like, they just kept coming, man. I like, couldn't believe it. Yeah. It's a testament to what MFF has as a community and the Ninja Army is as a community unto itself, almost outside of us, that quite frankly, if you were paying, you know, for the, for what we had available to us at the time, it was kind of shocking. Not that we were overpriced, but like folks try to imagine a two floor fitness facility and one and a half floors are closed off and not only closed off, but tarped with paint and dust while you're trying to train in the basement. Um, so I would, with no heat. And I would say, (laughs) The cold was one, I think the worst thing for me, because I actually did, you know, I tweaked my back one day doing nothing. And Mm -hmm. I went to one of my acupuncturists, this one was Paul. And Paul was like, you know, going through my list of shit that I was dealing with my back. And he was asking me, Paul's, Paul comes from like, you know, uh, Chinese medicine background, Eastern philosophy, and he goes into my life and my stresses and all that. We spoke about him a little bit on the Emily C podcast episode. And Paul's like, yeah, cold has invaded your body. Like you can't warm up enough as a coach to even if you go through the warm up in class and then not move and then continue to try to demo. So like yeah. that fried my back out for a good two to three weeks, which you know, I was able to work through it, but that was one. And then there was like a positive negative where there was one day where we, we had a class and we had some stellar ninjas. It was Elvin, Jen B and Emily. <clears throat> I think cat might've been there. I'm spacing on the other couple of people there. So I apologize to the ninjas that I'm forgetting. And the workers were doing something really fucking loud and dirty behind the tarp. Yeah. 
And I was just, I had my fucking point. I was so mad. And I like broke, I broke, you know, character where I was like, fuck it guys. Like I can't, I can't hide this. Like I'm pissed. And I'm like, we're going to just fucking, and they were getting pissed too. And I'm like, you know what? We're not even going to try to fucking rainbow through this. We're going to turn on the fucking heaviest music I can find on Spotify. And we're going to crush this class. And it was this great positive use of negative energy into something like really fucking strong work where all of a sudden, like, People are carrying around, like, uh, Emily was uh, carrying around, like, I think, like, a 40 and a 44 on her carries. Like sure it was just, she was. It was just, like, it was the first time I think she had hit that. And, and you know, everyone was crushing, like, you know, Elvin and, and Jen were crushing their floor presses. And so it was, like, one of those things where, like, it's the f- one of two times I actually almost lost my top at MFF. Yeah. Like, and, but the first time the positive outcome was, like, just Brian Patrick Murphy, I was pretty new, talked me off of the fucking, you know, uh, fire escape on that one and then this one was just like we just the ninjas and us and and i just all banded together and were like yeah Yeah. this fucking sucks but we're gonna crush it and then everybody left happy totally yeah it was like all our fucking emotion and passion went into those lifts yeah and you're out and i don't think there's a lot of times in a class environment where you can truly feel that without with doing good shit like good form sure just you just expressed yourself right Um, but not in like a train wreck for the sake of it way. Uh, and it was just so killer and I'm, I'm forever grateful for those, for those ninjas. But yeah, the cold fucking sucked when we didn't have a bathroom. So we didn't have a bathroom at all for a while. (laughs) Right. And and yeah, that was great too. They were, I mean, still, man, I truly, do you remember, um, one of the ninjas, Kiara, who just had a baby recently, um, she was literally the first ninja to walk into the Bowery our very first day that we like officially opened the doors anyway for people to come in and she was a little bit early and she was like I need to use a bathroom and we're literally like we don't have one like we don't have a bathroom we're like you can go around this like the corner to the coffee shop and the coffee shop was closed and so she was like uh I mean I guess I'll come back later and I for sure shot I mean I, I like I thought she would not come back I'm like that woman is never coming back and sure enough she like came back for the 1130 class and it's been a ninja and I'm, I don't know, man, it's like that kind of stuff just still blows my mind. Like how, yeah, it really, like what you said, it's just a testament to the, the ninja community and what, you know, we created at Hell's Kitchen to start and kind of like that reputation to start to have people be like, no, nah, I believe in this enough that I will come freeze my ass off and not have a bathroom just to be here with you guys. So that was, that's pretty awesome. What was the, the two other really good perks of that was I think uh, the team, you know, it, you know, Amanda, Riley, Craig, us, yeah. um, you know, we really whenever you have those types of situations, you can either, it's easy for people to start like shitting on each other or like really uniting. And one of the things that I love about MFF's culture is that we all started like bonding, even when it was like really sucked. Uh, we could talk about it and not really get on each other about it um, and try to find the bright spots and help each other through it. So that was something uh, I got to like, really like in talking with you and Riley and Craig and, and Ting a lot more than I had the opportunity to do at Hell's Kitchen because of my hours. Um, and then secondly, the, the cool thing, you know, we talk about whenever people talk about MFF, a lot of the times people hear about creating community and creating a culture. And one of the things we knew would happen with Bowery, but we didn't know how it was necessarily going to happen was those ninjas, especially like those pioneering ninjas with no heat, no toilets, helping to create our own version of what MFF culture is. So as people try to copy, um, what we do, our branding, our styles, our words, our magical creatures, right? Like that's a real thing. Um, 
what Bowery happened was like, here's what we have as a baseline, but here's the personalities of us uh, as, the, as the coaches there. And then here's the personalities of the ninjas coming in, right? And it had an effect. It is a, I, I haven't been at Bowery for a year now almost, which is crazy yeah, to say. But it had a very different effect where overall the work was elevated a little bit over the silliness. Um, there was a, a more of a focus mm-hmm. overall, less of a chatter. Uh, and I'm not saying this is a negative folks to hell's kitchen at all, but like the people helped pioneer their own culture aspect of what Bowery is in comparison. I mean, let's face it. We didn't have dildos in the gym for a while. And when they finally <laughs> came in, it was like, should we have dildos? Yeah, the- totally. Right. What do you think? What would you think? What would you attribute to that? What was your biggest surprise in that element? Like with the dildos and ninjas? Well, just the ninja personality, um, you know, defining the space that quickly. Yeah, man. I mean, it was like, it was really kind of a beautiful thing to see, right? Cause it's like, we truly had no idea. So we came, you know, we're from theater background, kind of crazy, kind of like what I love about Hell's Kitchen is there's this kind of like manic almost feeling there sometimes where it's like all of a sudden there's someone in a chicken costume running through and there's like you know there's some craziness and so when we you know when we moved down here I really truly had no idea but it was it was cool I feel like just the general atmosphere and vibe like the people that came in they brought down this the serious fitness part of Mark Fisher Fitness and I think that's kind of the foundation we laid to start where people came in and they just started doing really good work and the, like the ridiculous has slowly started to come, but it was the ninjas who were just like wanting to get in and do work and get after it. That kind of laid that foundation of other people that kind of continue to do the same. And it's still like that. I mean, it's still, you know, people come in, they crush and then they, they get out and like, that's kind of how we roll. That's awesome. It also gave, so here's the other side of it, right? Even at Hell's Kitchen before this opened. And I think when I came in, I think I heard a lot of this as my feedback is like, I wasn't as wild as some of the other guys. I use my own version of the language. We were just talking about this on the, on the, on the call. I wasn't like uh, you know, like uh, I would make penis jokes about myself, self-deprecating and poop jokes. Um, but I wasn't like overtly sexual in, yeah. in certain ways. And, you know, and I play heavier music. So there was like a different tonality. And I think you have a tonality and Ting had, you know, like uh, people connect, even though we want them to come for the hour and the place, not necessarily uh, us as individual coaches, but people certainly connect with the individual person. And I think even the ninjas from Hell's Kitchen, you know, there was a need for some place like Bowery where they don't necessarily have to have the Broadway put in their face the same way. Yeah. Right. Or that level of flair to some degree. And I think that was, I didn't expect that at all. You know, like, um, I don't want to name anybody because I don't want them to feel weird if they got named without knowing. But like people that I knew that trained with me frequently, like really just loved that aspect of Bowery and didn't necessarily want to hear any more Beyonce. Not that Beyonce didn't play, you know, at, at Bowery, but like they wanted that switch of character, that personality. So it was very same, but different, like your exercise selection, right? It's not a whole new thing. It's super familiar, but your personality finds what group you feel more at home at, right? Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like me and strong first in the RKC. I just ultimately felt more at home with the RKC. Sure, absolutely. Make it, make it about kettlebells and definitions. <laughs> That's the, right. Uh, RKC, strong first, Bowery, Hell's Kitchen. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck I'm saying, Wheels. You're crushing it, though. Mm. You're crushing it. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this in there real quick. Please. Just like talking about like RKC stuff. Um, and being in Kansas city for that, like hot minute when you came in and taught the HKC and then you did some other workshops there as well, that when I was in Kansas city, that was the first time I ever got to experience you as 
a, is a coach or somebody doing like a certification. And I feel like when I went through that with you, like that was when I was like, Oh shit. Like this is what Fury does. Like this is, you just totally blew my mind. I feel like you really like you just shine so much in that situation. And I was like, I felt almost like, I definitely felt like a student. I almost felt like, not that I didn't know you, but I felt very much like, oh my God, like if I didn't know you and you were my instructor, like, I, I don't know. There was just something about that certification you taught that I was just kind of blown away by, but it was, it was awesome. Well, thank you. I'm kind of blushing a little bit. You can't see me blush on, on, on a <laughs> podcast, folks. But, uh, you know, and that meant a lot to me. I remember, Wheels, you wrote a post about it to the team, actually, like directly yeah. to, the, to the Ninja Army and the team about that experience. And it meant a lot to me because you are somebody that I look up to. Um, and as somebody, you know, sometimes you know people coming into like an HKC uh, and you're like, I, I, I already know you know these basics, right? So maybe mm-hmm. I'll provide some troubleshooting. Maybe I'll provide some new cues or terminology. But like I already know from a technique testing and teaching, like you, you basically could walk in and get handed the shirt. Yeah. Clearly, you still did all the work. So to have that kind of feedback meant a lot to me. And, you know, I think it's just a, the one thing that's changed and, and with a number, you know, I've taught a lot of courses now, which is kind of crazy. Um, for those that are listening, just this will be about a week and a half since I've been back from Japan, where I taught for the third time in Japan. I taught an OS course and an HKC, which is what Wheels went through. Um, is I just value a? I love teaching, and it is different in 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 a one-on-one, semi-private, in a class environment. It's very different, and then being in front of the room. It's a diff- It's a very different experience because you're you have this like limited amount of time to share a lot. Like in a class, you can be a slower progress. You know, you can you can control that a little bit more or, or have more freedom of like allowing people to find things. Yeah. And in those workshops, like uh, you know, the individual and then communal investment in training and finances and time away from home and travel. It's just I want to make sure that I'm 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 making that worth their while. And I guess. Yeah. I'm never talking down to somebody. I'm just thankful that they're there and let's learn. And I'm not trying to show off or prove anybody. And of course it sounds like I'm trying to show off by saying I'm not trying to show off, right? Like not having a line is a line, but that's really where I want to be at it. If I can just help you swing better or just help you use an ultimate sandbag better within the context of a system, if I can help you program better then like my mission's accomplished. But if I fucking fail on that or you don't understand what I'm saying, then I really failed you. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, I just finished teaching my last course of the year. I think this year was a little lighter intentionally than last year. I think I did maybe like 11 or something this year. Um, and I still can't, I can't believe it. I don't know if I said it on the last podcast, but every time I fly out in particular, there's a moment where I look at the plane and I go, my daughter and a kettlebell brought me here. Like I wanted to become a strong dad. And then I fell in love with this silly little metal ball with a handle and that has literally taken me around the world in the United States and aside from that beyond the travel like made me friends like you like if it fucking like a kettlebell has introduced my life to so many positive people so many amazing experiences um you know look folks don't get the wrong idea I am financially struggling like the rest of us like this isn't like I'm not like rolling like I'm still in that check to check trying to get my shit together um you know I'm still in that learning curve but it's such a like, fuck, I never knew this was a thing that I would be able to do. Like, I just wanted to assist and help people and get better. And then the fact that like more than one group has offered up or that any group has offered up to allow me to be a part of their team is like, who the hell am I? I'm a middle-aged dude from Levittown, Long Island, you know, with a shitload of Godzilla toys. It's crazy. 
But I think something that was like super unique to you in that workshop, so I've taken, I mean, ton, you know, it's like over, you know, decades or how long of fitness, right? It's like you take tons of courses and tons of certifications. And I feel like, you know, there's a testament to like part of MFF, but like the way that you showed up in that certification was so approachable. You were so kind and funny. And I feel it, you really come off, you came off as like, you wanted people to succeed and that you weren't, you didn't come off as like an arrogant asshole. And I think unfortunately, sometimes when you go to certifications, the person standing in front is like, they're the expert and they're the person that knows everything. And they're a little bit better than you are, but it, yours just was not like that at all. And even it's like, if I didn't know you, just the charm and charisma that you had to really make everybody kind of feel special in the room. It was just like, it was really fucking rad. And I think if more coaches did that, like their clients would have so many more results. Like they, they would just have way more of an effect on people if they showed up the way that you did in that certification. So I just, I think about that a lot when I think about you coaching and yeah, I just really, I'm, I'm so glad that I got to experience that as a student. Um, twice. Really, you, really cool. Twice. Cause you took OS too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank you. And thank you. That, that means the, sh- the shitload to me. So, so for anybody that's like, think we, this has come up on the podcast before, but with James, but for anybody that's thinking about presenting it, you know, my, my thing to say would be this presenting can be extremely rewarding. Like I love teaching and getting to share. So when, when I leave this earth, I really do think about whether it's kettlebells or crawling or an ultimate sandwich, whatever group I'm, I'm, I'm with, I literally think how many people could I have an effect on in my training to like move or feel or live a little better, right? Like, so when I teach a course, my main goal is like, how can I help these people do that with more? So it's, you know, I'm limited in terms of how many people in a day in a class I could train, especially as an independent, or even if I was working at MFF, right? Like there's like a max, but every course I teach, I realize with that anywhere from like, you know, five to 40 people now are going to have like a ripple out there where maybe they help their swing get a little bit better for somebody else. And I really take that responsibility seriously and the fact that folks like josh hankin and john duquesne and uh tim anderson and danny almeida that they you know todd uh bumgarner and chris merritt that they they allow that right they allow me to do that even if mff like with the swing workshop and stuff that i've done there um that i'm given that responsibility but i'm also like very well aware I'm not the leanest person in the room. I'm not the strongest person in the room. I have zero athletic background other than skateboarding and BMX. Like I'm just a person that fell in love with this shit and is trying to got good at a few things, can explain a few things. So I don't want to, I'm not looking for leadership as a way to like promote my ego. It's like an opportunity to teach, which is something I love doing, which I didn't expect, right? Like I never expected to be, I was a shy kid. So I guess like now I'd be defined as an introverted ex. ex extroverted introvert um so the fact that a you know i wear costumes at mff and tights and crap uh and feel very comfortable doing it um Mm -hmm. but also get in front of rooms of strangers you know wherever it's kind of it's amazing so i learn a lot about myself in the process and i try to get better and i'm open to criticism and i think that's just helped and certainly being an assistant instructor at so many courses for so many great instructors um has helped because I've seen, you know, different personalities, different styles, what related to me, what related to the groups, what related to the brand personality, which I think is a lost aspect. Sometimes I think sometimes we think about like impressing other coaches versus, um, uh, how that represents the brand and how that fits with us. So thank you teaching guy, uh, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) teach, teach everyone. Uh, but if you're going to do it just because you like, like the, like the power aspect of having a title, 
uh, it's not like this massive financial win. Like there will be people if, like I just got back from Japan and there will be people who just crushed their sessions for a full week who will have made, you know, as much as I made in Japan just by working a shit ton of sessions or classes. Right. So uh, the reality is it is great money. Don't get me wrong, but like you can't teach, or at least I haven't pulled it off where I can teach every week. And when I have tried for that, I've had kids that are start going like, you know, a new wife that are like, where's, where's fury at? Where's my, where's my husband? Where's my dad? So there's a flip side of that. So please know folks, like it, it, it is like, it's a great opportunity if it's something you want to pursue, but to do it for the title, you might be better served just building up your business. Um, it's not for everyone to be in front of a room, but I do think almost anybody, if, you're, if your heart's in it, can do it. Uh, but it has to be in it for the right reasons. That was a lot about me. Thank you, Wheels. So good, though. So good. Uh, I'll say this. As a fitness manager, you had, especially at Bowery, because the Bowery had, we had these weather conditions. We had these, you know long ass hours in the cold like literally got, you, folks you have to imagine us freezing at the front desk with no heat a couple of space heaters um like just jacketed up had it up we opened in late november um just in time for the coldest of the cold yep. um and a lot of the time the doors having to be open the front door having to be open as people brought in like tile and flooring and <laughs> gear and crap you had an amazing style though of and capability of organizing stuff and talking to us without it seeming like management's talking to us. Like you can really like understand that these things are being put upon you. These things are being asked upon us. How do we meet, you know, down the middle? Where do you think you got that style from? Was it from your former business? Is that just like um, your personality? Oh man, that's, that's a toughie. Um, I mean, a little bit in my former business, because I mean, we went through some like crazy shit there too. When I when we opened in Michigan, um, you know, we kind of had a crazy story. The reason I even opened a gym was because me and my business partner got fired from the YMCA, and we oh, got wow. fired because they they brought in a new director, and we were running a program there, um, and we wanted to like basically like, take our program and run it at the YMCA. And they were kind of like hesitant. So we're like, well, then we're going to like open up our own facility. And like, basically like the second they found out we were going to, we're like thinking about opening our own facility. They were like, bye. They're like, not compete. I'm like, we don't have a bank account. Like we don't have anything. Like they were just like, you're out. And so literally we're like, all right, man, I guess we're going to, I guess we'll train in the park tomorrow. Like we literally like took all of our shit, went and like trained in a park. And then we did that for like two or three weeks. And then there was like one week that it was going to rain. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to turn my, I had like a one car garage. I was renting a house in Michigan and I didn't use a garage. So there was like this guy's shit all in it. Um, but I was like, I'm going to turn my one car garage then into a gym. And so I like took a weekend, like gutted the whole thing, like went and bought like this super dumpy, like floor mats, like a rack at like Dick's sporting goods. That was horrible. <laughs> um, we made some, like, uh, we had like a big tractor tire. We got some medicine balls and plates and like, started there and then we moved into my business partner's three garage like three car garage um we turned that into a gym but that was like the middle of winter in michigan and so it was like same kind of situation where we're like freezing our asses off but there was something about that time that was like we owned this business and we were going to start this business and it was everything we could do to just like be together as a team and support one another to be like this fucking sucks and we have no idea how we're going to do this thing but like we're going to do it together 
And I think like from then on, it was just kind of like this ride or die. Like we're a team and we're, we're doing this thing together and there's like, nobody's better than anybody else. There's not even, not even actually like there's nobody in charge. Cause obviously like if you're in management or if you're leading a team, like there has to be a leader. But I think I realized early on that like to be a good leader, you really have to let other people shine and play to their strengths. So it's like leaders don't like, it's not about that person. It's about how, how can that person help other people step into their roles and shine. And, um, and I think just because of the situation when we first opened the Bowery too, it was like, all right, man, like we got to be in it together. We got to do this thing together. And it was like, who, who can step up into this thing? How can you, you know, it's like, um, yeah, man, there's just no other option. I think at that point. It, it does help when it's so obvious, right? Like how dire the circumstances are, like whether you just got, you know, fired from that gig and this is the only space we can do. And, um, I had a similar where I was trying to start a class in Brooklyn and we were going outside and it was great for the summer, but then you have rain and suddenly there's like no income. Then it gets cold. There's no income. A friends let us into a place and then we got booted out of that place. And then I brought it to the gym and then everything else got too busy. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding myself in that position right now where I started a class at body reserve, started building it up, was going to rent space in there. And then I found out like two months in that they were closing. So they're actually last days in like three days. Um, Body Reserve, if anybody from there is listening, thank you so much. You are the gym, by the way, that when I decided to start lifting weights to be a strong dad, that's where I went, my local Brooklyn gym. Uh, So it was really cool that I was able to run classes there over the years. Um, But now I'm in that spot where I'm trying to find the right fit for me because I have Fury Industries in my apartment, Mm -hmm. but it is a small space. It's got everything I need to train, but I would love to have a little more space. But it is admittedly to some people that are newer, it could be deemed a little creepy coming into somebody they don't know's apartment, right? Sure. To train. Yeah. Uh, and I'm aware of that. I don't <laughs> think I was aware, so much aware of that as the beginning because most people knew me already. Yeah. Um, so I'm in that process now of trying to find a Brooklyn home and build that up. And, you know, there's some options that seem good and some that seem iffy, but there's not like a ton of options. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think whenever you're in those situations, also, if you don't let it crush you, it sort of opens your mind to a lot of stuff. Like I'd say like, you know, the, 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 the darkest, the most tired I felt while I was at MFF and it wasn't just MFF. It was just my life catching up to me. Um, before I left right in that moment is when I started to having all these ideas about like how life after MFF, you know, so I've been independent now, like I left in March 15th. So we're going on, you know, a good chunk of time, almost nine months. Um, that I've been flying solo. So, or it has been nine months. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> It'll be over nine months when this hits. Uh, and like, certainly with any new business, there's going to be ups and downs. So like, I don't want anybody to think like MFF did nothing wrong with Bowery. Like this is part of like, when you're starting a business, you're going to go through shit. You're going to have some good months. You're going to have some bad months. And I know I've been adjusting my sort of intended business model a lot and there's some cool stuff. I just need to dial in a few, a few of the pieces. Um, but I think that is a great aspect information for any potential person that wants to lead or be management that like, you just got to be able to roll with it know that we're in it together. And, uh, you know, I think that like condescending shit, which nobody at MFF does, um, or if anybody ever tries it, it gets eradicated in a crucial conversation pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a hard one. And if, if I've ever seen anything on a negative side of millennials, and I think millennials get a really bad rap, is I think sometimes in a business situation, there, there's this need to have too much conversation versus sometimes a manager just has to say, we need to do this. Yeah. 
right? And I think that's the one thing that sometimes potentially you and I have never had that, but I think sometimes maybe we don't need to have as many conversations like on occasion. Would you sure, agree? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a, there's a ton of conversation. And I think, well, I think something that, you know, Mark and Michael have done a great job at creating as opposed to like maybe other businesses is the space to communicate. Right. And for everybody to be heard and be seen. And like, it's like, if you, if you have an opinion or if you have a feeling like I have no, there's no doubt in my mind that they wouldn't take that into consideration. Right. Where it's like, so they have created that space for like conversation, but yeah, man. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm totally speaking for Mark and I'm could be totally wrong, but I think we're getting to the point too now where it's like, Oh yeah. Some things we can just be like, no, nah, we should do it this way. Yeah. And maybe we don't have to talk that much about it. Like, let's just, you know, let's make a decision. So yeah. I'd agree. There's that difference between being transparent and then, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, it, it, it gets in the way. Like you can be transparent and still be decisive. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and anybody in sort of like a 360 degree leadership role, like a, as we tend to have, like we mm-hmm. all have defined roles, but we like to be able to like, you know, lead up and down and sideways. Right. Uh, but there has to be the point where anybody in one of those positions has to re- defer to the role and yeah. like be like, all right, that that's going to be that. And I think I've been on both sides of that fence. I think I've been a real fucking argumentative. <laughs> squeaky wheel on certain things that I felt really passionate about. Um, but then also super chill about certain things that like, maybe I thought sucked, but it was time to move on. Yeah. Awesome. Let's move on to something that you've got going on. Speaking of programs, uh, wheels and Lori Lindsay and Nancy Newell have started a new online, uh, training program called formation strength. Why don't you tell the listeners about that? Yeah. Formation strength, 12 week strength conditioning program. Uh, when we first started talking about it, it was going to be like geared toward former athletes or people who were on teams before. Maybe they played sports, but like after they got done playing, it's like, you know, what do I do now? So we're finding like a lot of either professional athletes or collegiate athletes, even high school athletes, like they either start running marathons or they'll go like full CrossFit, which is fine, but there's no like happy medium of like, let's do some smart training, like take care of your body without killing yourself or without running like you know, thousands and thousands of miles. And if people love that, like, heck yeah, do that thing. Right. But it's like, there's not this like middle ground for people to step into that don't want to go to those extremes. And so we wanted to provide a community and a space in the education and programming for women to come in and jump in and feel like they're on a team and have the support and accountability from their teammates and from their coaches uh, and kick some ass over 12 weeks. So within the 12 weeks, what type of programming and content and support are they getting? Like say in like one week, what's like, uh, I know, you know, they'll get a program. What kind of support are they getting? What kind of education? You're doing crushing it in your social media and on your blog, by the way. Thanks. Um, But what what kind of like if somebody's signing up, what what would be like an average week in terms of the education support stuff? Yeah, cool. So it's a six day a week program um, with autonomy. So they're going to be three lifting days are going to be some, um, legit interval days There'll be some cardiac output. Um, and then we're going to do some neural charge and reset days, uh, because we love that shit. Um, and then we're literally coaching through all the lifts. So we're giving them education around like how to lift, um, technique. Uh, there's a private Facebook group. So we're literally in contact with them every single day. There's weekly check-ins they're getting mindset and nutrition habits to focus on throughout the weeks. So there's nothing like set in stone with nutrition. We're just giving some like general, um, general guidelines or just like things that they could follow that could be helpful. Um, and then within the group, 
we have like little group challenges. Um, and then this really super fun community of women. When we first, when we did it in the fall, um, I mean, I was, I don't know why I was surprised, but it was like the just level of badassery from the women that were participating literally from all over the world. I mean, it was like nuts. Uh, it was so cool to see them come together and support one another and cheer each other on in their lifts and have people, you know, talk about like how they haven't lifted that much since college or they've hit new PRs and, um, just to see these like strong women supporting one another in a way that's like, I feel like doesn't happen a ton online. And I guess what I mean by that is it's like a lot of, I think a lot of things for women right now are like all body image, body positivity, pink. And I, I don't want to say even like girly, but it's just, and I'm totally all like body positivity. Yes. Like love your body. I'm way into it. But sometimes there's this, I feel like there's this lack between the like body positive, like pink women's community and like bros or dudes just like talking about fitness where it's like, can yeah. we have a woman's group? Like, yes, but I think, you know, we all want to love our bodies and, and we do and we will, but it's like, can we just go talk about fitness? Um, and that's for, that's like, I personally want that. And I feel like I have not been able to find that in a women's group. Um, so I got together with Lori and I'm like, let's do this thing. And she was like, yep. Uh, and then we brought on Nancy Newell. So that's going to be a, um, I'm pumped. I mean, that's a powerhouse team. If for anybody that isn't aware of, you know, who Lori or Nancy are, Google, Google them. And you'll be like, holy shit. <laughs> like yeah. they are legit as fuck as his wheels. Hey, let, let's talk about this. This, you know, the, you wrote a, an amazing, an amazing blog on formation strength, my beef with the women's fitness industry. Yeah. And I found this is like, I know like you and I've had conversations uh, in terms of how some of the female ninjas, you know, felt even at MFF. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's been conversations in strength faction just in general. Um, I think strength faction for a lot of women becomes the first place where they do feel, I don't want to say like, feel like one of the guys. I think everybody just feels like one of the group. Like, I think yeah. that's a weird environment where you're not one of the girls or one of the guys. You're just part of yeah. the group. Right. Totally. And that allows for a lot of leverage on either way. And I think that works out. And occasionally, like if somebody feels like it's getting too bro like, you know, we have those conversations. It doesn't happen often, but for the most part, I think it's actually a relief for a lot of the women that are part yeah. of strength faction to not have that lens sort of forced upon them. Sure. Um, and I know, and I've had this conversation, I've certainly had it with, with Amanda Tang is, you know, I, I never look at like gender in terms of a qualification, like just in terms of like, am I going to respect this person as a coach more or less because, yep. you know, uh, they're a male or female or they look like this or that, right? Like it's, it's whatever it is that I see. I don't know if it's because I've been like, you know, basically with, you know, the same one woman for most of my life and now Kim for many, many years. Like mm-hmm. I just don't, I, that that's not part of my lens. Right. But one of the things you wrote up in this blog is that I've had is there's a, a lot of women's fitness stuff and I'm not the, uh, you can throw hate at me if you want for this, but I sometimes see, and you wrote this almost directly in your blog, like a lot of women as a middle-aged male or younger that I would be like, these people are gorgeous. Totally. And they're pointing out the faults, which I get because we're, you know, especially women are under this lens of like being like, you know, hyper perfect and all the photoshopping. I get that probably more than anybody to some degrees as a male because I worked in visual effects where we would touch up everything on an Avon commercial mm-hmm. or everything on a late commercial, right? Like I've had to go in there for all the ridiculous shit and have artists like digitally remove dimples, hairs, blah, 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 eyelashes, all that shit. So I know from a commercial aesthetic 
how that is. This is a little bit more prior to like full-blown social media land. But where, where do you think we can make better changes? Uh, let's, let's start within the women's sphere first, right? Where, where do you think we can start to change this from, you know, the body positive body image stuff is great, but is it relatable when it's somebody who's already like just physically, you know, on a whole other level than what the average woman might think she is? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think like to go back to, it's like, I do think it is necessary, right? It's like, I think having the conversation is necessary and to be like, oh my gosh, all women, even these women who are like gorgeous have insecurities and have yes. times that they don't want to, or angles they don't want to take pictures at. So it's, it is great to talk about it and be like, Hey man, like, nope, everybody feels this way. Um, and everybody has cellulite and everybody, you know, has, um, angles that they don't want to be photographed at. And that's like a totally normal thing and we need to normalize it. Um, yeah. I think for the amount of time it's been going on, I think it went at first from, oh my gosh, I can't believe that person shared that picture of their cellulite, like, because they're so badass and they wrote about it. And that's really kind of inspiring and beautiful and really vulnerable to, it's like now every picture is that where it's like, you know, I was on, I did a, um, I did the fake ass with Kevin Larby the other day and we were kind of talking about the same thing. And I was saying to him, like, I'm gay. And if every time I post a picture with me and Riley, I'm like, this is my girlfriend and I'm gay and I'm happy with myself and I feel okay about myself and you should feel okay about yourself too. If you're gay, like for the first few times, like, heck yeah, that's awesome and inspiring. But if I do it every single time I post a picture of us, it's like, are, are you okay with it then? Or like, <laughs> am I not okay with it? You know, it's like, I think just being, just being without ex- explanation normalizes something. So it's like, if I just post a picture with me and my girlfriend and I'm happy and people see that, that like makes it normal. If I see a badass chick who maybe has some cellulite in a photo, but she doesn't acknowledge it, then I can see it and be like, Oh, she doesn't give a shit. Like that's normal. But it's like to continue to talk about it. And again, it's like, I do think it's, it needs to be talked about to a point, but it's like, we've just been like hammering the issue where it's like, then just post pictures of yourself doing stuff with cellulite or at, with different angles and don't say anything about it. And that like normalizes, I think more than, talking about it that's a really good point of view that i I didn't really think about because because it does become you know there are uh, are, it's a legitimate issue like again uh, validating the need for conversation and for people to feel comfortable with that like i think it is something when you realize like somebody who you might view as incredibly attractive or incredibly fit still has these insecurities and we also have to go deeper into like what is causing the insecurities right like how have we been sort of societally trained to feel that way you know, we're behaviorally trained to, to feel that way. Mm-hmm. But also I do think when it becomes a selling point, you know, or, or, or a buzzword, uh, yeah. clickbait, you know, I think that becomes problematic because then it does become like, you know, it's another, you know, I'm trying to grab that person by that. And it's a shame sometimes because when somebody really deeply opens up about it, like I think yeah. there's those degrees where people really open up about something and then people realize that it's an angle and they're going to, you know, use it as an angle. And I think that that goes with any type of, you know, marketing. But after the blog came out, I know some of the conversations we've had in strength faction, uh, wheels is also a mentor in strength faction folks. So we, we, we came together on that side. Um, you know, the conversations from a number of the women in the group was like, it's a, it's just, can we all just lift? Can, can we, you know, at, at a certain point, create a culture where we're all comfortable enough, no matter who you're working with, to lift? Yeah. Right now, I don't know if that's like for the base 
population yet. Like, I think it's right. great that there is a woman's program. Like, I think something like formation strength, especially with sort of the pedigree of the three of you in there is like a needed thing. Um, and it also doesn't seem to me to be like trying to capture a market for lack of a better phrase. Like, I think it, it's, it's, pro- it's, it's solving a potential problem or filling a void without it just being like, here's the gimmick. Not that yeah. I, you know, uh, where I think sometimes that becomes a gimmick. Like I've had trainers talk with me, male trainers too, actually more than women trainers who were like, you know, they're like, what's, what's your specialty? You know, like I'm like a bikini guy. I'm a leg guy. I'm like, I'm a move better, get strong guy. Like yeah. I, it's like, no matter what, you know, you're training as a, as a woman versus a man is only different based on your goals for the most part. Right. For the most part, like there are certain things that people have had, you know, pelvic floor issues become a thing. If you've had Mm -hmm. C-sections, that becomes a thing. Right. You're going through menopause. that Like there are things that are legitimate and hormonal. Right. Um, And also like physical differences. Let's, you know, not, but baseline training, (laughs) it's baseline training. Like wheels and I have been on the same strength training program for many months together. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that changes basically is she's usually lives heavier than me uh, (laughs) and is more consistent on Uh... So this idea of how drastically the different they are, it's not like this whole bulky, like, you know, I think there's an idea that dudes are always just looking to get big and, and women are trying to stay long and lean, right. <laughs> you know, but it's like, that doesn't come down to just exercise selection, folks. That's like, how many reps are you doing? And more importantly, how fucking much are you eating? Yeah. Yes. Right. Like, um, you know, in the land of kettlebells in particular, which, you know, if we break down MFF, it's basically a body weight and kettlebell facility mm-hmm. for the classes, at least in snatch. It is hard, really hard to get bulky with kettlebells. Like one of the yeah. selling points is pound for pound, lean body strength. You have to train very specifically, very deliberately and eat a certain way to get bulky on kettlebells the way I think some people fear. Yeah. Um, or start to imagine it's happening. Like when they start to get more lean, they get, they look a little more muscular. And then that's, there's that weird, you know, middle ground where emotionally they're like, I know I'm getting stronger, but now I feel like I'm getting bigger. Um, you, you know, like that's, that's totally. like a, a, a part, but it's really hard to do that. So in terms of training somebody on kettlebells, like my programs are really based on their goals and on their, you know, potential, you know, uh, injury history, mobility issues. It's not really gender based. Um, because let's face it, like, you know, in the RKC, women have to press, you know, especially if we're going to like an, a level two, they have to snatch a lot comparatively to their weight. Men mm-hmm. have to snatch a lot comparatively to their weight. And you see strong men and women. You don't necessarily see, like, people that you would think, like, holy shit, she's a bodybuilder, right? Yeah. You just see some fit men and women. And I think that's something that I would love to see open up a little bit. Because I know for me, like, I've trained a lot of women. And mm-hmm. I know some, especially early on, a lot of my client referrals were because they would see some of the women I'd work with doing like killer get-ups, starting to knock out reps of pull-ups and stuff, things that generally speaking, women think are, are more impossible than men, although pull-ups in particular, a lot of men do too, but uh, you know what I'm talking about yeah. on that. Um, what do you think we can do in terms of breaking down that wall, you know, outside of formation strength, this idea of, you know, training modalities having to be so different between the genders? Yeah, man, that's a great question. I mean, it's like, I think, you know, I think it's exactly what you said, right? It's like, it's food for one, right? And I mean, it really, it, I want to be like, it kind of is that, but it's like, unless you specialize, like, unless you are, unless you're a woman that wants to be a bodybuilder, 
or you want to do something like very, very specific or a man that wants to do something very, very specific, it's like you squat, hinge, push, pull, stabilize, maybe transmit force. If you want to get bigger, you do different amounts of reps and you eat more. If you want to lean out, you do different reps and you eat less or in some kind of calorie deficit. And like, that's kind of it. You know, it's like, and I think it's hard for people to understand that, but it's like truly, unless you are, unless you want to get specific in your training, like that's all it is. And I don't, that's a great question, man. I don't know if I have an answer for that. Like, what can we do besides like, you know, spread the message, like spread this, like just gospel of fitness. Um, you know, and I think, I think Dan John actually does. I mean, you know, that's like his, that's like the Dan John gospel, right? It's like squat, hinge, push, pull, stabilize, carry. Yeah. Um, and like, that's about it, but yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I have an answer yet. Yeah. I mean, it, it's cause basically when you're breaking down the things you were throwing out, it becomes more about personal goal and less about the gender specific, right? Yeah. Like if I wanted to, if I want to lean out, I'm going to have a pretty similar approach to, to a female want to lean out. So those pro, I mean, when I do my online programs, I just, uh, if I'm using examples, like my male programs, and my female programs are basically exactly the same taking in but taking in the consideration of potential mobility issues, injury, you know, access to equipment. Like it's never like, here's a, a, a woman's program. Yeah. Now I would say I, would, I haven't seen a formation strength program, but I would imagine that program would work pretty fucking killer for guys, but Absolutely. you're adding the communal aspect of bringing women in. And I think maybe that's the missing element of trying to sell women that they need a specific type of fitness versus maybe it's just empowering to have, a supportive female community behind them. Yeah, right? totally. Maybe that's yeah. like the greatest gift and you ladies will crush the shit out of that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks man. No, I mean, that's exactly it. Like we, I think I talked about actually in that article where it's like this program could be like um, a dude could crush this program, right? It just happens to be, we're bringing these women together to give them a different idea of what women's fitness could be to help them pursue athleticism and performance as opposed to like only aesthetic goals, just to give them a community of badass women to be around, uh, to support one another and then kind of like go forth into the world and, you know, take that message and that confidence with them. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a, it's essentially a non-gendered program. Like anyone can do it for sure. Yeah. That that's awesome. And I'm just thinking now, like, you know, when you guys are around in another, like, uh, eight years, I'll sign Sadie up. I think there's that, you know, the, the, the thing that I see is it's helping to empower women of like, you know, our age range. I'm, I'm, I'm older than you, but you know, if we, if we create a broad spectrum of ages, you know, anywhere from like mid twenties to like, you know, late forties is I think the biggest gift is going to be, you know, that next generation of women coming up. Cause I think fitness is getting into for all the gimmicks and, and, and things that are still happening. I think there is a rising level of like proven things, right? Proven, simple things that we can rely on and think, you know, things will be discounted and things will change. But I think we are finding some simple foundational things that probably aren't going to change too drastically. Cause if we look at them, they really haven't changed too drastically. It's, it's how much shit we've tried to layer in or how heavy we've tried to chase load or chase mm -hmm. mass, right? Like, you know, the barbell lifts have been the barbell lifts. We've got probably better at scientifically breaking down the form, mm -hmm. but you know, in a session, like you start to be able to coach that stuff up and people, you know, develop the skill acquisition of that versus like some new rando. I, I think we're sort of past the part of some new rando 
deadlift robot mechanism, you know, that's going to replace that. Right. Like, right. I don't think we're going to go backwards to the BOSU ball, you know, hinging and stuff. Yeah. Um, and if you're into that, you know, go for it. Um, I know some people, you know, have their own reasons for that, but I'm not going to do it. Um, where I think that's one of the cool things that I find in the, in the fitness industry right now. Like we're finding like proven things that work, proven things that might not like work the way we think they're going to work, but at least allow us to categorize, categorize and select safe situations and exercise selections. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think things will progress to a certain degree, but overall, I don't necessarily see it becoming more complex. And I think sometimes as an industry, we're trying to find ways to make it more complex because it's marketable when it's right. complex. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit, like, so if someone wants to, we'll get, we'll, we'll repeat this at the end, but if someone wants to sign up for Formation Strength, where do they go? I think go to formationstrength.com slash train with us. There's a link on the website. Um, they can follow at uh, Instagram at Formation Strength, Facebook at Formation Strength, all the info's on there. Um, but yeah, our website has uh, all the information on that program. Um, it starts January 8th. We're going to be loading these women up into their Facebook groups and accountability buddies and stuff on the 1st of January to get them rolling for the beginning of the year. But, uh, yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, if you're looking for a Christmas gift, this podcast comes out on Christmas. If you need a late <laughs> Christmas gift sign, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't be great to sign somebody up without their knowledge first though. They might take that offense. Like, <laughs> we hey. did. Somebody though has, has registered their girlfriend. <laughs> okay. like, and like, I think talked about it with them first, but like they're, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, hey, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna here just this is what i've got you yeah <laughs> but like you know the cool thing is you know i came from my early things in fitness like i wasn't a gym guy but i remember like starting to work out my buddy domel we'd go to a bally's you know jack malane yeah and you know uh the, the the female version of fitness this was leg warmers you know yeah. not super far off of flash dancers yeah. and it was all the machines and all the classes mm-hmm. And a lot of those classes are more about this idea of lengthening and toning, but it's really just like moving and sweating. So like you feel fatigue for the sake of fatigue. And so it must be doing something good. And clearly if you're sweating something out, there's going to be a response, but whether if you're truly progressing as a human being. So uh, if, if you're thinking about a new program or, you know, check out wheels and the crew at formation strength and we'll, we'll hit that up again. Um, Wheels, I might throw a curveball at you. If you're not I'm cool ready. with this, let me know. No, I'm ready. So one of the things that and I, I meant to bring this up and I spaced out about it is you've been very open on social media in the last five months about dealing with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable talking about that now? Yeah, totally. Yep. So let's go from a worst case scenario. When you're feeling like the deepest in terms of your anxiety, what, what is that like for you? Oh, man. Um, okay, this is a great question. So... Uh, I have like three different types, like I'll say like layers of anxiety. And just for me to like kind of understand and work through them, I kind of like uh, compartmentalize them, but I call them anxiety one, two, and three. Um, three is by far the deepest. And it's just like, uh, it's, it's very physical. It's like a very physical, almost like I think depression would feel where they're like wet blankets on you, but like everything kind of closes in. And I feel like when I get into those, to that physical space, my headspace too is like almost like in a negative tailspin where it's like something can kind of set it off. And it could be like a random email and another thing I have to add to my list and it'll just like set it off into like this spiraling motion. And then it's like grows into this very big, like my entire life, like what the fuck am I doing? And it's, it's, it's pretty all encompassing and it like fucking sucks. Um, 
and that's only, I only get to that level, not very often, thankfully, but I feel like, um, I've been really trying to read and I'm going to therapy and I'm really trying to understand what happens in the brain when that's happening and like the chemical imbalance or just how, how it's happening. Um, so I've read some pretty good books. Uh, there's one, uh, rewire the anxious brain was phenomenal to be like, Oh, if I'm experiencing this, it's coming from this part of the brain. Um, but that's kind of, yeah, man, it's, it fucking sucks. Um, and I'll say the other two, um, one is just like a general, like physical anxiety. That's just, it's truly more general. It's like, if you had to go to the airport, like you had to go teach a seminar somewhere and you were stuck in traffic on your way yeah. to the airport and you were late, that like physical feeling, um, I, I will randomly get that throughout the day. Kind of, I don't say for no reason, but and nothing will trigger, trigger it. It'll just kind of like happen. And then I'll get some like rumination as well, where I'll kind of like spiral out on thoughts. But that specific book has really helped me with that, where it's like, I can catch it in the moment and then just like groove a new pattern, like lay a new path. Um, and I think, you know, I think people think of depression or anxiety or mental health in general as like this taboo thing where it's like, we can't talk about it or it's like this bad thing. And I honestly feel like something that's, I don't say worked for me in my life, but it served me in some way because it's like almost to the point where it's like, I always feel like I have something to do. It's like definitely helped me stay on top of everything where it's like the anxiety pushes me forward in yeah. some really shitty way as opposed to like hold me back. Like I'm definitely not late on any of my projects or assignments or emails. Um, but it is something that I do deal with on a pretty normal basis. I think that's, you know, super important to help normalize that stuff too. And I know I, I wrote a, a blog, one of my online clients had, you know, sent me an email and, you know, I, I knew the person had anxiety issues that she's, you know, she had opened up to me about and, you know, felt weird about admitting that she was finally going, like it was almost like a weakness going to seek help. And I wrote a blog just about like, I have been to a therapist, like, you know, you don't, I don't know if you wisely make a massive career choice or, you know, let your marriage end without trying to really like see through the angles of that, right? Like all, you know, peel away the layers of that onion to, to see if like, is this truly just a mood I'm in? Is this like really what I want is, you mm -hmm. know, all the fears and anxieties that come from that. So I have dealt with a lot of, you know, anxiety and it, it points depression throughout my life. And I know, like, I like how you said you, it fueled you, I think from a filmmaker perspective, I thought that sort of manicness was like part of my like creative process. Mm -hmm. And I think some people will think that's that, but I think there's ways that we can work on being better than that. But we also have to be open to accept that like, this is, this is a part of my personality or how my body handles things, but, and I don't like it or I do, yeah. but I need to be able to decide if I do like it or not, right? And can I make it better if I don't versus just accepting? And mm -hmm. I think that's where I think therapy comes in as like a good option um, or probably even not even for like the big ticket items too. I just think some people lose sight that like, it's wonderful to have a non-friend, non-subjective point of view on something, right? Like just to bounce ideas off of, as opposed to, you know, friends are, you know, it could be super helpful. And I'm certainly like MFF is a place where like, we have all these life coaching lessons where we're probably going to get better advice than most friends would give to one another because we have that background to some degree. Um, but most friends immediately start, all their answers are influenced by their own agendas and their own worries versus like what's a real right. factor for you, the individual. Right. And I, I just think it was really cool because the one thing for folks is like, I never saw an aspect of this. Like I, you know, so when I, when wheels started posting this stuff, it, 
I was so proud of her, not just that she did it, but she did an amazing job of covering it up. Not that I felt you needed to cover it up, but when you're in a work environment, especially in front of ninjas or sessions or clients, like, you know, there is that constant sort of conflict being like, you come in in a shit day and you, you're, you're supposed to have your happiest face on for them because they're paying for you to be happy there. And that's like the, like the fact that you have that ability is fucking uncanny, but it's also like, I love that you started opening up about it. Cause I think like, you know, that, that there's a big picture of you on social media not that I want people to troll you, but like how you mentioned Riley. Like, so I just love that you and Riley are together. And I love when I see pictures of you. Like, I don't think about normalizing because it's just part of my normal life is, is you two. Right. And it just makes me happy. Like, I'm always like, ah, because I don't get to see you, you guys yeah. as much because I'm at Hell's Kitchen right now and, and don't get to visit. Like, as it got cold, I don't go to the skate park by Bowery anymore. <laughs> so I haven't been stopping by uh, to say hi and pee. Yeah. But I think that's an important part. Where do you... Uh, the, the, let's give an action step. So if somebody's feeling like this level of anxiety, like where did you find your therapist? Was it a referral? Um, uh, you- yeah, I did. Um, there was a, uh, there's a ninja, um, who, who was a referral or who shot us out a bunch of referrals. Um, and I will say like when I first started looking for a therapist and PS, like it, I think, everyone should go to therapy. Uh, even if you're not like dealing with like mental health issues. Um, and of course it's like hella fucking expensive. It's insane. There is a lot of stuff that I have to give up to be able to go to therapy because it's like expensive. Um, and the unfortunate truth, I think at least in New York city is like, there's so many people like dealing with some mental health stuff. Like when we first started looking, like when I first started looking for therapists, it was like, some people wouldn't even call you back, which is like slightly like, disheartening where it's like oh man like trying to reach out to somebody to like for help but I did get um I have an amazing therapist right now um that I started working with in May and just kind of what you said it was like it's just somebody that is there to like listen and not even give you advice because I think what you're saying too like when you talk to your friends a lot of times they want to give advice where it's like that's not what you need man you're like trying to process some stuff um so yeah, that's been, that's been amazing. Um, and I too, like, I want to know how things work. So it's like, uh, yeah, I said the books that I've been reading, um, rewire the anxious brain. Um, I know there are more that I've read. Um, but like that one specifically sticks out. Cause it was just like, this is what's happening. Like you don't have to feel this way. And even though it has fueled me and a lot of my, like, where it's like, I will get up and like, for a long time I'd like wake up in the morning my eyes would like open at like 5 30 and I'd be like what did I miss what do I do like what do I have to do and I'd, I'll have like these lists and I'll go through these checklists and be you know it's like everything is early there's no there's no late there's no not even like on time it's like it does fuel that in a way but like I don't like the feeling and I do want to I don't want to feel like that anymore so yeah I, yeah so I am working to like you know step away and and to be fair I think you know with coaches and like people that are independent contractors and I mean, obviously like right now I have this, I, I work at Mark Fisher Fitness and have a full-time job and um, benefits and health insurance. But I think there's this hustle. If you're an independent coach, like where you always feel like you got to be grinding and doing and doing and doing. Um, and I think there was a point too, like earlier in the year where it was just like every, you know, waking minute was filled with something. And it was like, I just was not taking any downtime. I wouldn't, I didn't have a day off for a very long time. Um, so it's like almost me relearning to allow myself to have downtime. And I think 
as independent coaches, right? It's like you work when other people don't and you kind of work around other people's schedules and it's setting, for me, it was setting boundaries with my time and like being like, it's okay to take a day off and like take a walk and like just enjoy and be and recharge instead of like feeling like there's not enough time in the day. And I'm just like chasing this thing that I don't even know what it is. Um, so that's been like a really good lesson this year, but, um, therapy for sure has helped. Um, just reading about like neuroscience and, and brain chemistry. Um, I, I would love, I love geeking out on that. My Kyle Langworthy will always be like, you have to read this book, ah, read this book. Um, which I so appreciate that he like is into that and wants to talk about it. But I think just understanding and, and talking about it, right. It's like taking me a long yeah. time to even be like, Oh yeah, this is a thing that like I totally deal with and struggle with a lot. Um, and then it's way, I don't even want to say normal. It's way more normal, but it's way more common than people think. I think it's way more common than people want to allow themselves to be, believe. I think that's a hard look in the mirror for a lot yeah. of us Yeah. versus like what's, what's the normal aspects of our personality that are like, you know, actual personality and, and what is just fear and anxiety coming through. Um, I know I often can't tell the difference between anxiety and depression. Like it starts to feel very similar to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed the one thing in my old career in visual effects, I would like get super anxious because of all these deadlines and teams and organizational shit. Am I going to miss this deadline? And a lot of it was like out of my hands um, where I'd have like, you know, insomnia or I'd have these nightmares of these jobs getting fucked up. And then I'd wake up and I'd be like, this job doesn't even exist. And when I left the industry, my pressures became more actually like, you know, so in that industry, like my, my finances were set, like I was making fucking great money. So like, my anxiety was all work-based, right? And how was that affecting my life? And then in this thing, my actual things that I should be anxious about are are way more real. Like, am I going to be able to pay the rent? Am I going to be able to pay this? Like, I still struggle sometimes in certain months. And, you know, there's a lot of months, especially as independents that are just, and gyms are worse than others. Like the holidays tend to be rough because a lot of people take off. Summer tends to be rough. Yeah. You know, so I went independent kind of like just in spring going into that. So, it's, it's weird. Cause like, I have this, like, you know, I know right now I'm having a rough month, but I know I have some workshop money coming in and I'm dealing with the anxiety of like, shit, I know there's like bills coming in, mm-hmm. but it's so funny how like, I don't feel it on the same overwhelming level as I did in my previous career where money was okay. Yeah. Right. And I keep putting in that perspective of, you know, I do this thing when I walk in my neighborhood in Brooklyn and I've, I've lived in Brooklyn a long time now and I love it dearly. And, you know, I do this thing where you look in a brownstone and if you see the open staircase, you're like, motherfuckers, they have the whole building. Sure. And I'm like, <laughs> I'll never own, a, you know, a whole building. I probably never will. And, and then I take that moment. I'm like, you know what? But like, they probably have to work a lot for that. Or they've been working, living there a really long time, but more likely than not, they're probably working really fucking hard for that. Yeah. And then I'm like, there's probably a lot of stress related into that job. I wonder if that job's rewarding or do they need to fucking stay in it because they can't lose the house now, sure. right? Yeah. And I've just found for myself that that weighs in, but sometimes I'm like, shit, shit I miss making six figures. Oh <laughs> man, you know, the, the, the workshop land and, and independent land and, and, you know, even working in MFF land, like it could be so inconsistent from year to year. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking $5,000. It could be like $30,000 difference from year to year. Yeah. Um, that it's like, it's impossible to sort of count for that. Um, but I, I think people need to look at that too, as their sources, like where is, what, what is driving their anxiety mm-hmm. and how, I don't want to say this real or unreal. Cause that's like, you know, 
me writing somebody else's story, but where, what, what's it stemming from? And is this like a true, like, you know, life or death one? Mm-hmm. And are these situations financially viable versus us thinking they're financially viable? Yeah. You know, like I just, it's one thing, like I, there's aspects I miss about visual effects and I would say pretty openly, I'd imagine I'm going to have some capacity of doing some of that type of work again, just creatively or as a consultant. Um, I miss some of the people, I miss that different creative outlet, but man, I don't stress even when I'm worried about my bills the same way I would stress when I was making that money. Cause it's just like a different impact on yeah. where my heart's at and where my head's at. But every step of these ways, when I've, when I've hit those waves, I, I, I have gone to somebody, mm-hmm. um, to speak about it, yeah. you know, uh, especially when, you know, the, the split with my marriage was happening. Um, definitely when, uh, you know, I was making this decision, like, I really had to think like, is it fucking crazy that I'm going to leave a six figure job to go, you know, teach five, I taught five classes in like three semis at the start. So I literally yeah. like, it was like, holy shit, like a lot of money gone to, you know, two kids. My son was, you know, relatively newborn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, house, a car. And then, you know, I guess eight months later, my marriage ended not because of that, but yeah. I think it was just a great that you shared it. Cause like, I know I deal with a lot of stuff, but as trainer lands, we're not supposed to let that come out. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good for all of us to hear that, like that struggle is real and probably a lot more common too. Yeah. So on all fronts, you know, uh, normalizing, you know, the gay community, the fitness, female fitness community. And then also like, you know, this like, look, it's fucking like normal, but it's not necessarily like we should, doesn't mean we shouldn't try to get better at it. Like Todd and I talked about that. Just like there might be aspects of our personality that we don't like, and we shouldn't necessarily accept that like, this is a personality aspect we don't like. Like, Like, how can we make that better? And I think most people don't, I think they just accept it. Um, absolutely. Well, I'll just like throw this in there too. I think, um, you know, something at least with anxiety and maybe not like I can't speak as much on depression by any means. Mine's definitely more anxiety, but I really do feel like for others who are struggling with it, something that I've really started to think about and, and, and practice is like that, like anxiety is a learned pattern over and over. So then when you get into stressful situations or non-stressful situations, your body knows how to go there. Yeah. Like your mind knows how to go there. It's a practice over time, just like anything else. And it doesn't mean there's not, I mean, there's definitely brain chemistry involved, but because we so naturally go there, like our bodies will continue to go there. So it, it will be a practice and it'll take a long time, but it's like, you can reroute those paths. And it's like, I know like for rumination and stuff, if I get rumination, like the second I catch it, boom, I'm going to get off it and like lay a new pattern. So that starts to slowly discontinue being like my, the natural pattern. So, um, I think there are ways you can start to deal with some of that, but, um, it, it can get better. It, it really can. Awesome. Well, Hey, I know you need to go. You need to set Tim up with some classes and go teach. Yeah. Um, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, Facebook, um, formationstrength.com, Instagram at formationstrength, Instagram at wheelsfit. Um, if you look up Amanda Wheeler, Mark Fisher Fitness, uh, I'm around all different places. If you want to, we're open enrollment for Strength Faction. If you're a coach, I could be your mentor at Strength Faction. Uh, or I could be, be your I can, yeah. I can be your mentor too. So Strength yeah. Faction registration it, it just opened on the 18th. So folks, uh, hop on that shit. 
Um, we've had a couple of folks, Chris Merritt, a lot, Chris, Kristen Callahan, and uh, Todd Bumgarner. So lots of information yeah. on that. Wheels, I love you. I love you too, buddy. Hey, can you tell the listeners to die mighty? Dude, die mighty. Awesome. Well, Wheels, thank you so much for coming on. I love you. Um, listeners, if you, you know, track down Wheels, I'll provide the information uh, on the podcast link. Also, if you're interested in training with me, either one-on-one or online, or potentially becoming a strength, you know, I could be your strength action mentor, visit coachfury.com. Um, and you can find out also any courses that I might have coming up since I got that fucking unexpected glowing endorsement from wheels. Uh, that's coachfury.com. If you want to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash coachfurypodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And you can donate like a buck or two per episode. Uh, it allow me to get on more servers uh, and, you know, maybe feed my kids a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode. As always, thank you to Glenn Urieta, who does the Godzilla uh, sketches for the podcast, the FGW, who provides the heavy metal music at the during the podcast, and also to Ridge Carpenter for making the Die Mighty logo. And just, I can't believe we're at like a holiday episode, 16 episodes in. You know, this podcast, again, birthed out of Strength Faction, out of a blog that Todd Bumgarner did. And, you know, I've got it down into a system. And I hopefully you guys see that I'm trying to get better at it. And uh, just to all the guests that have come on so much, there's only going to be one more in the year after Wheels. And uh, that'll be a surprise you'll find out once this airs. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for your listening and for your support. Wheels, you're the best. Cyber high five. High five. And uh, go teach everybody. Thanks, buddy. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by yours truly, Steve, Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the ftw.nyc.com for band, album, tour, and merchandise information. And the artwork is created by Glenn Urieta. Visit glennurieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or on Instagram, at Glenn Urieta. Thanks, everyone.